section twenty two of the morals volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org the morals volume one by plutarch translated by several hands corrected and revised by william w goodwin consolation to apollonius part one as soon apollonius as i heard the news of the untimely death of your son who was very dear to us all i fell sick of the same grief with you and shared your misfortune with all the tenderness of sympathy for he was a sweet and modest young man devout towards the gods obedient to his parents and obliging to his friends indeed doing all things that were just but when the tears of his funeral were scarcely dry i thought it a time very improper to call upon you and put you in mind that you should bear this accident like a man for when this unexpected affliction made you languish both in body and mind i considered then that compassion was more seasonable than advice for the most skilful physicians do not put a sudden stop to a flux of humours but give them time to settle and then foment the swelling by softening and bringing it to a head with medicines outwardly applied so now that a competent time is past time which brings all things to maturity since the first surprise of your calamity i believed i should do an acceptable piece of friendship if i should now comfort you with those reasons which may lessen your grief and silence your complaints soft words alleviate a wounded heart if you in time will mitigate the smart euripides hath said wisely to this purpose our applications should suited be under the nature of the malady of sorrow we should wipe the tender eyes but the immoderate weeper should chastise for of all the passions which move and afflict the mind of man sorrow in its nature is the most grievous in some they say it hath produced madness others have contracted incurable diseases and some out of the vehemence of it have laid violent hands upon themselves therefore to be sad even to an indisposition for the death of a son proceeds from a principle of nature and it is out of our power to prevent it i dislike those who boast so much of hard and inflexible temper which they call apathy it being a disposition which never happens and never could be of use to us for it would extinguish that sociable love we ought to have for one another and which it is so necessary above all things to preserve but to mourn excessively and to accumulate grief i do affirm to be altogether unnatural and to result from a depraved opinion we have of things therefore we ought to shun it as destructive in itself and unworthy of a virtuous man but to be moderately affected by grief we cannot condemn it were to be wished saith crantor the academic 
that we could not be sick at all but when a distemper seizeth us it is requisite we should have sense and feeling in case any of our members be plucked or cut off for that talked of apathy can never happen to a man without great detriment for as now the body so soon the very mind would be wild and savage therefore in such accidents it is but reasonable that they who are in their right senses should avoid both extremes of being without any passion at all and of having too much for as the one argues a mind that is obstinate and fierce so the other doth one that is soft and effeminate he therefore hath cast up his accounts the best who confining himself within due bounds hath such ascendant over his temper as to bear prosperous and adverse fortune with the same equality whichsoever it is that happens to him in this life he puts on those resolutions as if he were in a popular government where magistracy is decided by lot if it luckily falls to his share he obeys his fortune but if it passeth him he doth not repine at it so we must submit to the dispensation of human affairs without being uneasy and querulous those who cannot do this want prudence and steadiness of mind to bear more happy circumstances for amongst other things which are prettily said this is one remarkable precept of euripides if fortune prove extravagantly kind above its temper do not raise thy mind if she disclaims thee like a jilting dame be not dejected but be still the same like gold unchanged amidst the hottest flame for it is the part of a wise and well-educated man not to be transported beyond himself with any prosperous events and so when the scene of fortune changeth to observe still the comeliness and decency of his morals for it is the business of a man that lives by rule either to prevent an evil that threatens him or when it is come to qualify its malignity and make it as little as he can or put on a masculine brave spirit and so resolve to endure it for there are four ways that prudence concerns herself about anything that is good she is either industrious to acquire or careful to preserve she either augments or useth it well these are the measures of prudence and consequently those of all other virtues by which we ought to square ourselves in either fortune for no man lives who always happy is and by jove you should not hinder what ought to be done those things which in their nature ought to be for as amongst trees some are very thick with fruit and some bear none at all amongst living creatures some are very prolific and some barren and as in the sea there is alternate vicissitude of calms and tempests so in human life there are many and various circumstances which distract a man into divers changes of fortune one considering this matter hath not said much from the purpose 
think not thyself o atreus son forlorn thou always to be happy wast not born even agamemnon's self must be a shade for thou of frail materials art made sorrow and joy alternately succeed spite of thy teeth the gods have so decreed these verses are menander's if thou o trophimus of all mankind uninterrupted happiness couldst find if when thy mother brought thee forth with pain didst this condition of thy life obtain that only prosperous gales thy sails should fill and all things happen according to thy will if any of the gods did so engage such usage justly might provoke thy rage matter for smart resentment might afford for the false deity did break his word but if thou unaccepted sawest the light without a promise of the least delight i say to thee gravely in tragic style thou ought to be more patient all the while in short and to say more there's no one can which is a name of frailty thou art a man a creature more rejoicing is not found none more dejected creeps upon the ground though weak yet he in politics refines involves himself in intricate designs with nauseous business he himself doth cloy and so the pleasure of his life destroy in great pursuits thou never hast been crossed no disappointments have thy projects lost nay such hath been the mildness of thy fate hast no misfortune had of any rate if fortune is at any time severe serene and undisturbed thou must appear but though this be the state of all sublunary things yet such is the extravagant pride and folly of some men that if they are raised above the common by the greatness of their riches or functions of magistracy or if they arrive to any eminent charge in the commonwealth they presently swell with the titles of their honour and threaten an insult over their inferiors never considering what a treacherous goddess fortune is and how easy a revolution it is for things that are uppermost to be thrown down from their height and for humble things to be exalted and that these changes of fortune are performed quickly and in the swiftest moments of time to seek for any certainty therefore in that which is uncertain is the part of those who judge not aright of things like to a wheel that constantly goes round one part is up whilst others on the ground but the most sovereign remedy against sorrow is our reason and out of this arsenal we may arm ourselves with defence against all the casualties of life for every one ought to lay down this as a maxim that not only is he himself mortal in his nature but life itself decays and things are easily changed into quite the contrary to what they are for our bodies are made up of perishing ingredients our fortunes and our passions too are subject to the same mortality indeed 
all things in this world are in perpetual flux which no man can avoid with all his care it is an expression of pindar that we are held to the dark bottom of hell by necessities as hard as iron and euripides says no worldly wealth is firm and sure but for a day it doth endure and also from small beginnings our misfortunes grow and little rubs our feet do overthrow a single day is able down to cast some things from height and others raise as fast demetrius phalerius affirms that this was truly said but that the poet had been more in the right if for a single day he had put only a moment of time for earthly fruits and mortal men's estate turn round about in one and self-same rate some live wax strong and prosper day by day while others are cast down and fade away and pindar hath it in another place what are we what are we not man is but a shadow's dream he used an artificial and very perspicuous hyperbole to draw human life in its genuine colors for what is weaker than a shadow or what words can be found out whereby to express a shadow's dream crantor hath something consonant to this when condoling hippocles upon the loss of his children he speaks after this manner these are the things which all the old philosophers talk of and have instructed us in which though we do not agree to in every particular yet this hath too sharp a truth in it that our life is painful and full of difficulties and if it doth not labor with them in its own nature yet we ourselves have infected it with that corruption for the inconstancy of fortune joined us at the beginning of our journey and hath accompanied us ever since so that it can produce nothing that is sound or comfortable unto us and the bitter potion was mingled for us as soon as we were born for the principles of our nature being mortal is the cause that our judgment is depraved that diseases cares and all those fatal inconveniences afflict mankind but what need of this digression only that we may be made sensible that it is no unusual thing if a man be unfortunate but we are all subject to the same calamity for as theophrastus saith fortune surpriseth us unawares robs us of those things we have got by the sweat of our industry and spoils the gaudy appearance of a prosperous condition and this she doth when she pleaseth not being stinted to any periods of time these and things of the like nature it is easy for a man to ponder with himself and to hearken to the sayings of ancient and wise men among whom divine homer is the chief who sung after this manner of all that breathes or groveling creeps on earth most man is vain calamitous by birth 
today with power elate in strength he blooms the haughty creature on that power presumes anon from heaven a sad reverse he feels untaught to bear gainst heaven the wretch rebels for man is changeful as his bliss or woe too high when prosperous when distressed too low and in another place what or from whence i am or who my sire replied the chief can Tidia's son inquire like leaves on trees the race of man is found now green in youth now withering on the ground another race the following spring supplies they fall successive and successive rise so generations in their course decay so flourish these when those are passed away how prettily he managed this image of human life appears from what he has said in another place for what is man calamitous by birth they owe their life and nourishment to earth like yearly leaves that now with beauty crowned smile on the sun now wither on the ground when pausanias the king of sparta was frequently bragging of his performances and bidding simonides the lyric poet in raillery to give him some wise precept he knowing the vainglory of him that spoke admonished him to remember that he was a man philip the king of macedon when he had received three dispatches of good news at the same time of which the first was that his chariots had won the victory in the olympic games the second that his general parmenio had overcome the dardanians in fight and the third that his wife olympias had brought him forth an heir lifting up his eyes to heaven he passionately cried out propitious demon let the affliction be moderate by which thou intendest to be even with me for this complicated happiness theramenes one of the thirty tyrants of athens when he alone was preserved from the ruins of a house that fell upon the rest of his friends as they were sitting at supper and all came about him to congratulate him on his escape broke out in an emphatical accent fortune for what calamity dost thou reserve me and not long after by the command of his fellow tyrants he was tormented to death but homer seems to indicate a particular praise to himself when he brings in achilles speaking thus to priam who was come forth to ransom the body of hector rise then let reason mitigate our care to mourn avails not man is born to bear such is alas the god's severe decree they only they are blessed and only free two urns by jove's high throne have ever stood the source of evil one and one of good from thence the cup of mortal man he fills blessings to these to these distributes ills to most he mingles both the wretch decreed to taste the bad unmixed 
is cursed indeed pursued by wrongs by meagre famine driven he wanders outcast both of earth and heaven hesiod who was the next to homer both in respect of time and reputation and who professed to be a disciple of the muses fancied that all evils were shut up in a box and that pandora opening it scattered all sorts of mischiefs through both the earth and seas the cover of the box she did remove and to fly out the crowding mischief strove but slender hope upon the brims did stay ready to vanish into air away she with retrieve the haggard in did put and on the prisoner closed the box did shut but plagues innumerable abroad did fly infecting all the earth the seas and sky diseases now with silent feet do creep torment us waking and afflict our sleep these midnight evils steal without a noise for jupiter deprived them of their voice after these the comedian talking of those who bear afflictions uneasily speaks consonantly to this purpose if we in wet complaints could quench our grief at any rate we'd purchase our relief with proffered gold would bribe off all our fears and make our eyes distill in precious tears but the gods mind not mortals here below nor the least thought on our affairs bestow but with an unregarding air pass by whether our cheeks be moist or whether dry unhappiness is always sorrow's root and tears do hang from them like crystal fruit and dictus comforts danae who was bitterly taking on after this manner dost think that thy repinings move the grave or from its jaws thy dying son can save if thou wouldst lessen it thy grief compare consider how unhappy others are how many bonds of slavery do hold how many of their children robbed grow old how sudden fate throws off the usurped crown and in the dirt doth tread the tyrant down let this with deep impression in thee sink and on these revolutions often think he bids her consider the condition of those who have suffered equal or greater afflictions and by such a parallel to comfort up her own distempered mind and here that opinion of socrates comes in very pertinently who thought that if all our misfortunes were laid in one common heap whence every one must take an equal portion most people would be contented to take their own and depart after this manner antimachus the poet allayed his grief when he lost his wife lied whom he tenderly loved for he read an elegy upon her which he called by her own name and in it he numbered up all the calamities which have befallen great men and so by the remembrance of other men's sorrows he assuaged his own by this it may appear that he who comforts another who is macerating himself with grief and demonstrates to him by reckoning up their several misfortunes 
that he suffers nothing but what is common to him with other men takes the surest way to lessen the opinion he had of his condition and brings him to believe that it is not altogether so bad as he took it to be aeschylus also doth justly reprimand those who think death to be an evil declaring after this manner some as a thing injurious death do fly but of all mischiefs tis the remedy and he who spoke thus very nicely imitated him come with impatience i expect thee death and stop with thy obliging hand my breath to thee as a physician all resort and we through tempests sail into thy port and it is great to speak this sentence with courage where is the slave who never fears to die or this and shadows never scare me thanks to hell but what is it at length in death that is so grievous and troublesome for i know not how it comes to pass that when it is so familiar and as it were related to us it should seem so terrible how can it be rational to wonder if that cleaves asunder which is divisible if that melts whose nature is liquefaction if that burns which is combustible and so by a parity of reason if that perisheth which by nature is perishable for when is it that death is not in us for as heraclitus saith it is the same thing to be dead and alive asleep and awake a young man and decrepit for these alternately are changed one into another for as a potter can form the shape of an animal out of his clay and then as easily deface it and can repeat this backwards and forwards as often as he pleaseth so nature too out of the same materials fashioned first our grandfathers next our fathers then us and in process of time will engender others and again others upon these for as the flood of our generation glides on without any intermission and will never stop so in the other direction the stream of our corruption flows eternally on whether it be called acheron or cocytus by the poets so that the same cause which first showed us the light of the sun carries us down to infernal darkness and in my mind the air which encompasseth us seems to be a lively image of the thing for it brings on the vicissitudes of night and day life and death sleeping and waking for this cause it is that life is called a fatal debt which our fathers contracted and we are bound to pay which is to be done calmly and without any complaint when the creditor demands it and by this means we shall show ourselves men of sedate passions and i believe nature knowing the confusion and shortness of our life hath industriously concealed the end of it from us this making for our advantage for if we were sensible of it beforehand some would pine away with untimely sorrow 
and would die before their death came for she saw the woes of this life and with what a torrent of cares it is overflowed which if thou didst undertake to number thou wouldst grow angry with it and confirm that opinion which hath a vogue amongst some that death is more desirable than life simonides hath glossed upon it after this manner our time is of a short and tender length cares we have many and but little strength labors in crowds push one another on and cruel destiny we cannot shun the casting of these lots is very just for good and bad lie in one common dust pindar hath it so the gods unequal have us mortals vexed for to one good two evils are annexed they pay a single joy with double care and fools such dispensations cannot bear sophocles so why at a mortal's death dost thou complain thou knowest not what may be his future gain and euripides so dost thou not know the state of human things a faithful monitor thy instruction brings inevitable death hangs o'er our head and threatens falling by a doubtful thread there's no man can be certain overnight if he shall live to see tomorrow's light life without any interruption flows and the results of fate there's no man knows if then the condition of human life is such as they speak of why do we not rather applaud their good fortunes who are freed from the drudgery of it than pity and deplore them as some men's folly prompts them to do end of section twenty two recording by lucretia b